And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 44. Uh, we left off at Judges chapter 4 yesterday, so we'll pick up in Judges chapter 5. And in chapter 5, uh, Deborah writes a song after the conquest over Jabin's army uh, in chapter 4, as the Israelites are prone to do to write a song to commemorate things. And we see in chapter, uh, or excuse me, in chapter 5, verse 7, uh, one of the things that's interesting is she writes, um, Villages were deserted. They were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. So here we have a mother arising to the title or to the uh, headship of judge and prophet, prophetess and whatnot. Motherhood is critical. Motherhood is, is, is so valuable. And in today's society, we tend to discount it in favor of careers. A career can do nothing uh, in the way of importance relative to motherhood. So this is very important to remember. So I highly encourage you to read all of chapter five in the lyrics. Uh, of her song, uh, because the Israelites are prone to write songs to commemorate important events. And so let's go on to chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. As the Israelites are prone to do, they slid into evilness, and again, um, they had to deal with the consequences of that. And then we see in verse 6, so Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. As they're prone to do, the Lord hands them over to what their hearts desire. They don't like the consequences, then they cry out to the Lord again. Then verse 11, an angel of the Lord came, and he sat under an oak, uh, under the oak that was Ophrah, which belonged to Johash, the Abizurite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And so the Midianites were pressing the Israelites, and so uh, they were hiding their harvest from them and their, their labor because the Midianites were taking their stuff. In verse 12, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Now, isn't that interesting? The angel calls him a valiant warrior. Uh, up to this point, Gideon has done nothing to warrant that title. He's essentially prophesying to Gideon. Uh, he's prophesying his future. He says, this is what you will essentially become. <clears throat> Which leads us to, it, it's important to speak promise into people. You know, even before they ever show any signs of it. It's just very important to speak promise into people, particularly our young people. But anyway, let's, let's keep going. In uh, verse 14, <clears throat> the Lord turned to him and said, go in full strength. You have go, go in the full strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. And so, and then uh, Gideon says in verse 15, he said to the Lord, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. He said, How can, I, how can it be me? My family is the weakest in my tribe, and I'm the youngest. Why are you doing this? You know, the, 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 this is interesting, right? Because this, this kind of sounds like Moses. When, when the Lord chose Moses, and Moses, even though Moses was old, he was essentially saying the same thing. Lord, why me? Gideon is saying, Lord, why me? The Lord has a tendency to choose those that others of us would not choose. <clears throat> In verse 16, the Lord says, but I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. And then in verse 23, it says, the Lord said to him, peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. I'm with you. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. We're good. And so we're going to verse 25. <clears throat> On that very night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and a second bull 
seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Shire pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on top of this mount. In other words, tear your father's idols down and then build an altar to me on top of the rubble. You know, so he's telling Gideon to tear your father's stuff down <laughs> because he's wor worshiping foreign gods. And then in verse 30, the men of uh, the men uh, found out about it. And then the other men of the town found out about it. In verse 30, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he tore down uh, Baal's altar and cut down the Shira pole beside it. So the men aren't happy with this. Because again, they're living amongst foreign peoples, and their 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 gods and other things have seeped into their culture. In verse thirty-one, but Joe has said to all who stood against him, "Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead his own case because someone tore down his altar." And so Joe has. Gideon's father, I guess emboldened by what Gideon had done, said, look, let Baal take care of Baal. If he's God, let him deal with it. <laughs> and so essentially that's what happened. In verse 33, we see that all the Midianites, Amalekites, and uh, Kadamites gathered together, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the Jezreel Valley. And so all the enemy assembled, they crossed the Jordan and camped. And so they're ready to go to war. And so... <clears throat> Then verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a wool. Oh, okay, so, so here's the deal. He's going to put a wool fleece. He wants to know, is this you, God? And so I'm going to put a wool fleece down on the threshing floor. And if I wake up the next morning and the wool fleece is wet with dew, but the floor is completely dry and I wring out the water from the fleece, I know it's you. And then we drop down to 49. And he says, Lord, I want to do something else. I want to do the reverse this time. This time, I want to put down a wool fleece, and if I wake up and the wood floor is completely wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll know it's you. And that's what he did. And so that's what became, that's when Gideon became convinced that, yes, I guess the Lord is with me. And so we move on to chapter 7. In verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them. And so the, 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 the Gideon's uh, army uh, gathers together and they go down uh, um, uh, on the banks getting ready to fight. But the Lord says, no, 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 no. You have too many troops. <clears throat> uh, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them or else Israel might um, elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. And so the Lord is saying, look, there are too many of you guys. If you win, you might say, we won because we bad. We won because we kicked their tail. We won because of us. And the Lord is saying, uh-uh, I don't want that. In verse 3, now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Uh, so 22,000 of the troops turned back and 10,000 remained. And so he says, essentially, look, if you're scared, if you're afraid, and if you're trembling, leave. And so out of the 32,000, 22,000 left. There were 10,000 remaining. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and that will test them for you there. And so he takes them down on the water, and he says to them, uh, he says to Gideon, look, have them drink, and don't tell them anything. And so if they kneel down to the banks of the water, and if they lap up water like a dog, you know, then they're out. If they bring water to their mouth with their hand, then I'm keeping them. And so that was the test, and about 300, not about, but 300 
did the hand thing. Now, why the hand thing overlap, uh, kneeling down? I don't know. Maybe it's because if you bring your hand to your mouth, you can still look around and be aware of who's coming or whatever. Maybe that was some kind of sign of wisdom. I'm not sure. But that was the deal. And so he was left with 300. We go on to verse 9. That night the Lord said to him, Get up and attack the camp, for I've handed it over to you. But if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down with Pura, your servant, um, listen to what they say, and then you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So it says, look, attack the camp, but if you still need more, if you still need more encouragement, take your boy, go down and listen to what the enemy is saying. And so that's what Gideon does. And then he says um, in verse 12, now the Midianites, Amalekites, and Ketamites were settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts. And so there are a bunch of them. We'll find out later it's about 135,000 of them. And so Gideon at most had 32,000, then it got whittled down to 300. So now we're talking about 300 versus 135,000. In verse 13, when Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread uh, came tumbling into the Mennonite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. In verse 14, his friend answered, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon and a son of Johash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. And so this friend is like prophesying. I mean, he's, he's not prophesying. He's, he's, he's dream interpreting. He's interpreted the dream. How did he get that power? I don't know. Maybe, you know, the, the Lord had dropped it into him. So this is what the interpretation is. In verse 15, then Gideon heard the account. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. So the Lord sent him down and said, listen, he heard that they were afraid, that they were scared, and he was encouraged. He went back to his camp in verse 13. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty uh, pitcher with a torch inside it in the other hand. And then he essentially says, do what I do. And then in verse 20, it says the three companies that, you know, they went down to the enemy's, to the edge of the enemy's camp. Uh, in verse 20, the three companies blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers and shouted, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Then in verse 22, then Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets. The Lord caused the men in the whole army to turn on each other uh, with their swords. And so they, they, they blew the trumpets. The men turned on each other and started doing each other in. And then in verse 24, Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim uh, with messages to come down and intercept the Midianites. So the, the Midianites turned on each other, and then he took off and fled. He called out to his brothers in the hill country, and then they started pursuing the Midianites. And then in verse 25, uh, the Ephraimites captured Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb while they were pursuing the Midianites. They brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. So they de decapitated them and brought them uh, over to Gideon. And then we drop down uh, in chapter 8, verse 4. Gideon and his 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted but still in pursuit. And he said to the men of Sokoth, these are his brothers, his fellow Israelites, please give us some loaves of bread to the troops under my command because they are exhausted. For I am pursuing Zeba and Zelmuna, the kings of Midian. They got the princes, now they're after the kings. Uh, but the men of Sukkah said, no, we ain't going to do it because you don't have the kings yet. And Gideon said, okay. When I, when, I, when I get them and bring them back, you know, I'm going to tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the uh, wilderness. And so we see that uh, they pursued them, 
and they got him. Um, well, let's go on. Verse 10. Now, uh, Ziba and Zalmunna uh, were in uh, Kakor, and with them was their army of about 15,000 men, who were all uh, who were all those left of the army of uh, the Kedemites. Those who had been killed were 120,000 armed men. So we see it's about 135,000, 15,000 were left. And so Ziba and Zalmunna fled when, when, when uh, Gideon was pursuing them. He overtook them, killed his army, captured the kings. And so then he took the kings back to Succoth and said, look, I got the kings now. And then so he went out and he essentially, you know, disciplined. The word says um, that he took the elders of the city. He took some thorns and briars from the wilderness and he disciplined the men of Succoth with them. So what do you do? Like spank them? I guess. I don't know. But, uh, you know, thorns. And so they're tearing flesh and blood and everything. Then he asked the Ziba and Zomuna, the kings, what should I do with you? Uh, not what should I do with you, but what happened, you know, at Tabor. And he said that, that they killed men like you who were resembling uh, sons of kings. And so then uh, Gideon says, okay, if, if you hadn't have done that, I would have kept you alive, but now I'm going to kill you. And so then it says, then he said to Jether, his firstborn, get up and kill them. The youth did not draw a sword for he was afraid because he was still a youth. And so this is something that a man that Gideon uh, had to do himself. And so Gideon gets up and he kills him. He strikes him down. And then we see in, in verse 22, then it says, um, uh, then the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you, the Lord will, will rule over you, because this was what the Lord's intent was. But but Gideon says, well, give me all the, the, the earrings, the gold earrings that you plundered. They gave it to him, he melted it down. And then he, he in, in verse 27, it said, Gideon made an ephod uh, from all that, from all this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping and the, worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So he essentially made an idol for the people. And he, maybe he didn't know it, but that's what happened. Then the word says that they have 40 years of peace after that. And then in verse 30, Gideon had 70 sons, his offspring, since he had many wives, and he had one son named Abimelech, okay, from one of his concubines. And then uh, when Gideon died, uh, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal um, their god. And so then it says, they did not show kindness to the house of Gideon for all the good he had done for Israel. And so the life of Gideon is interesting. And we see again that the people of Israel have short memories, and they forget, and they turn and worship other gods. So with that, we'll pick up in chapter 9 tomorrow. Bye-bye.